Second Thessalonians chapter 3. Finally, brethren, we pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified, just as it is with you, that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you will both that you will do and oh, let's try that again both that you do and will do the things we command you now may the lord direct your hearts into the love of god and into the patience of christ there are certain things in the church that are not fully comprehended and what Paul has said here, and what Paul has mentioned in this, is the ministry of the Word. It is one thing to teach from the Bible. It is quite another to teach the Bible. And if you have been to a Bible-teaching church, you understand completely what I'm saying. It's easy for someone behind a pulpit to grab a verse to use as a platform to say what they want to say. It's quite another to to look at the scriptures and answer the questions of what was this writer talking about and to whom and when you know, the reporter's questions, and then give a sense to what it means. Not some verse that allows you to launch into your personal opinion or some pop psychology or some political slant bent you may have. The ministry of the Word is more than just teaching the Bible. We have a lot of great Bible teachers in America and around the world for that matter. Paul said you have, many fa- you have many teachers, but you have not many fathers. The difference between is the maturity. Paul, in his education, in his conversion, in his complete dedication and commitment to the Lord, had tremendous depth of spirituality. No one can challenge that. I mean, he written... God used him to write half the New Testament. And so when Paul speaks, we should listen. I remember being in the office at Costa Mesa. <clears throat> Someone walked in and said, you know, Chuck was there, and, and we had part of our duty was to be on, in the office for counseling and the phone calls that would come in, so you get to catch a number of things that happen. And I remember this one individual came in, and said, well, you know, what is it with the Calvary Chapel? I mean, I, you know, and Chuck said, well, we just, we, we simply teach the Word of God simply. You know, that little phrase that Chuck coined, you know. And, you know, he's got that big grin on his face, and he's just smiling real big at him. And it's like, well, you know, I could see the frustration all over this person. It's like they kind of like, well, our church does that. But it's not like Calvary Chapel. And they sort of, they didn't really leave in a huff, but they just walked out. 
not really happy with the answer that Chuck gave him. And I remember him looking over and he said, some people just don't get it. <laughs> and it's true. Some people think if you just teach the word, then everything magical will happen. And God uses that. But there is a ministry. And what do we mean by the word ministry? We mean the idea of letting the word of God service and do its special work of transforming. We've got uh, a tremendous ability to what, what we hear go in this ear and come out the other one and without any lodging whatsoever. But the true ministry of the word is beyond the intellect because we teach, as our Western culture, we teach to the intellect. The word of God goes much deeper. It is able to separate motive. It is able to divide soul and spirit. It goes right to the core of who you and I are. And to settle for anything less than that is to miss something that God may have. We're not allowing the word to minister to us. So Paul is praying here that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified. That is how God's word is glorified. When it is taught and ministered, Paul said to the Corinthians, he said it to the Thessalonians, I did not come to you in word only, but in power and in demonstration of the Spirit. And that is so essential in the ministry of the word. Why? He didn't, even though Paul was very learned, and, and, and he says he wasn't eloquent, but he was and is. He still lives. He wasn't depending upon human wisdom. Because that, again, that's just intellectual level. You needed to get much deeper than that. And a man cannot do that. No matter how gifted a teacher may be, unless he is ministering under the anointing and an empowering of the Spirit, that word will never penetrate deeper than the mind. It has to be anointed and ministered through the Spirit so that people's faith are not in people. We've got these superstar pastors, you know. Where is that written? We need the unction from the Holy Spirit so that people's faith... And our faith is in God and not in men. Ministry of the word done scripturally will always create vertical conversation in your heart. Oh, Lord. Not, oh, isn't it? Ooh, ah, ooh. It is, oh, Lord. And the fear of the Lord comes upon our spirits. And we're brought... We're humbled by it. We're brought into the right position of heart and soul. So that, and that's something that we pray for. This is what's happening in our church. Not on the scale, maybe, and we haven't arrived <laughs> by any stretch. But, this, but we've been convicted of this. May the word of God run swiftly. Have free course that the Word of God in one sense would propagate rapidly, everywhere. The idea of being glorified is that we have reverence. We don't worship the Bible, you know, the, 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 the ink and the paper. We worship the Word. Jesus Christ is the Word of God. We know He is the Word. We worship Him. And when we have the right perspective and relationship with God, then the Word, the written Word, what has been given to us, is now become now becomes the living word. It's alive to us. It's real. It speaks to us. It, and the ministry of the word creates life. 
When God speaks, things change. Things are transformed. It brings life. That's why we have such a high reverence for the word. That the word of God would have free course. There are those who would restrict the word of God. Well, you know, I don't want that person to give that word because, well, then, then, then maybe they, uh, people will think differently of me than them. There's a lot of pastors that don't allow others who have been given a word to give that word for, because they're insecure. Well, whose ministry is this? Whose church is this, pray tell? Instead, we just recycle the old and the old and, you know, where's the new and the fresh that needs to come? Those who have been in the presence of the Lord usually have something to share. Now, one of the things that is wonderful about the Word of God is that is the promises. Don't you just love the promises of God? I just, where would we be without the promises, right? But even though God has promised certain things in his word, we are still required to act upon those promises. It's just not all in God's court. Actually, most of the time it's in our court to respond to the head and to what God is initiating. All, all the work that God wants to do, it always initiates with him. We are to respond to, to what he's initiating or has initiated. And we know that God's word will never go out void. We all love that verse. It will accomplish the mission for which he has sent it. It will accomplish what God pleases. Isaiah 55, 11. So, let me illustrate the idea of, of acting on the promise of God. Daniel, and I've shared this a few weeks ago, Daniel was reading Jeremiah. You know, Jeremiah was the last of the major prophets that spoke to Judah before they were taken captive. And he wrote in chapter, what we call chapter 25 that Israel would be in exile in captivity for 70 years in Babylon. But at the end of that 70 year period they would be released and allowed to come back and, and restore, be restored in the land. And so Daniel now probably pushing 90 or maybe in somewhere in that neighborhood is reading through that scroll and he realizes, you know, he did his math. He's like, oh my goodness. We're, it, the time is up. We can go back. Now he's plugged in. He's an old man. It's not for him to return. His ministry and his calling was uh, different. So what did he do? Well, I wonder how God's going to do this, you know. Did he take a passive approach? You know, well, God's ordained it. And whatever God's ordained and, and whatever, you know, it's a sovereign work of God. No. Well, it is all that. But he began to pray. He began to humble himself, get on his knees and get in his face and get his face in the carpet and say, oh God, we have sinned against you. We are here because we have turned our backs on you. And here we are, Lord, forgive our sins and restore us. And then we know that eventually it came about the Jews were restored. The second temple was rebuilt. We must pray for the promises to become a reality. It's sort of what 
Francis Schaeffer called active passivity. And that sort of sounds like an oxymoron, I know. But it's not. It's, it's active in the sense that God is going to do it. It's active in the sense that we must pray. But it's passive in the sense that only God can do it and let's stay back out of the way and only do what he's showing us to do. The hardest thing to do is to get ourselves out of the way. To just be patient and let God work. And it's a good question when you're in a situation is, okay, Lord, what do you want to do here? And, and, and just wait. If God gives you revelation on something, he's showing you something, well, then set on that revelation. Let at the mouth of two or three speak as the prophets go. We're getting instructed. And let's see if God confirms what he's revealing to you and inspiring you. And let's see if it comes forth and there's an affirmation and a confirmation elsewhere. And then you know if that happens, like, wow, that's really the Lord. Now, I, um, maybe Bill took the time to read through the passage. I don't know. But you can see the songs fit perfectly with what God wants to communicate with us tonight. I don't, uh, I just think you guys need to know this. We are trusting the Lord for every service we do here, obviously. We pray to be led by the Spirit, and may we never not be led by the Spirit, right? But I don't meet with Chelsea or Bill or whoever else leads worship about the songs. I trust that God will show them and direct them. And if if you're paying attention on our services, no matter if it's Wednesday or Sunday, it doesn't matter. There seems to be like, wow, there's something that's that's the Holy Spirit putting the things together to communicate to you and I what He's trying to say to the church. He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. God is glorified when the Word of God is ministered. And when the word of God is acted upon in prayer, and he's allowed to work. But I think one of the things, too, is as we have the ministry of the word, is that as ministers of the word, that God would keep us usable. Now, you know, I used to say when I was younger, you know, knowledge puffs up. You know, and and when you're reading a lot and you get ahead knowledge and, and, you know, you you just, you get, it's Temptation to become more, to become something that you're not. And so God, they, one of the ministries of the angels, they may not minister the word, but they have a ministry to us. They have little, actually rather large common pens in their hands. So when you get a little bit puffed up, they have a way of just poking your little balloon and deflating you. <laughs> I'm joking. It's, it's not scriptural. But God has a way of humbling us. And we need uh, to be humbled uh, in the, all the knowledge. And this is why Paul suffered like he did. He had this abundance of revelations. I mean, he had the abundance of the spiritual gifts working through his life. And the only way that God could keep him usable was through the trials and tribulations and even allowed Satan to buffet him. So, you know, if you want to be used of God, don't shy away from, well, I don't want to, I don't want to suffer too much. Well, then don't expect to be used very much. That's the only way you can deal with corruptible flesh is to keep it in a place of submission. And it's called the cross. So that, that is what it is. He prays for deliverance. In verse 2, from unreasonable and wicked men. 
the people, those are the, would be the people who have rejected the faith, uh, 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 Christian faith, and, and the scriptures themselves. Evil, and the idea that not only are they content to reject that and live their own lives apart from God, which would be fine if that's their choice, but rather than just being content with that choice, they want to inflict pain. Psychopathic type people fit into this category. They bring pain and hardship on other people. I think the Judaizers were of that ilk. They followed Paul around, as you know, and would inflict pain upon people. But we have to pray, especially in the times in which we're living now, we really, man, we got to step it up. Because wicked people are in high places, and there's a lot of them. This onslaught of evil, we've never seen anything like it. it and it, you notice it's not getting any better. I mean, we thought it was bad before this crazy stuff that's been going on the last year and a half or so. Well, now it's just manifested and we see who the players are behind all of it, right? So we have to pray, obviously, for God's protection. Deliverance, protection, always pray for that. There's a history or testimony of, in the early 60s, Matt and Laura Higgins were missionaries in Kenya. And I think we're rapidly coming upon times like that I'm about to share with you this story. And you may be familiar with it. It's pretty cool, really. They were returning one night from Nairobi there and sort of on the east of there, I'd be west of there, rather, towards uh, Uganda, uh, Nanzia and, and Lake Victoria and that whole area. And there had been a, already been a lot of missionaries that had been uh, apprehended and, and actually killed and, dis, and unfortunately dismembered. Just, uh, just a lot of evil. It's a very strong, big stronghold there. So they were outside about of Nairobi, about 20 miles, and they, their vehicle stopped. And so he j- gets out. He's trying to desperately repair the car because of what could happen otherwise but it would not start at all. So he got back in the car, and they just prayed. Anybody want to look up Psalm 8 while I'm talking and read it? Psalm 8. And they prayed this prayer. Go ahead and read that, if you can get it real quick. Psalm 4, verse 8. Psalm 4, verse 8. I misspoke there. Psalm 4, verse 8. So uh, he, they prayed that. Good thing they under, Good thing they knew the promise of God, right? They knew that it's where to go in the scriptures and what to pray. So a few weeks, they repaired the car and they made it home safely. A few weeks later, they were uh, in America on furlough, and they talked about that night how uh, they prayed, and um, there was a local, apparently a local pastor. Um, that had visited them and kind of told them some things that was going on in Mama House, actually where they were at or headed to, that he was part of this group. This has been some time later that he was part of this group. He was a member of this crazies. Uh, that him and three others had crept up to the car and they were going to kill him. And they saw when they got near the car that there were 16 men around the car. And Higgins is like, what are you, what are you talking about? 
we were in the middle of the night, and we were, it was just my wife and I. No, he said, no, there was 16 men around your car. And on the other side of the world, during this time, a guy at this church while he was on furlough came up and said, well, you know, uh, on March 23rd, he came to give him the date. God woke me up, and I had this real heavy burden on my heart to pray for you. In fact, I called a couple men in the church, and we prayed for you. And we didn't stop praying until we felt there was a release. So when it comes to promises of God, you pray into those promises until God releases you from it. God sent those 16 angels to protect that couple because these people on the other side of the globe prayed. It's just a wonderful story. I think we need to really understand that the people that were praying that had no idea how God, if it, God answered that or how God would answer it. These people had no idea that they were being prayed for. They were just crashed out sleeping. So you, just an illustration of we do not grasp the effectiveness of our prayers. Never stop praying. Never stop believing because God hears and God's answers those prayers. He's praying uh, that the Lord would direct them. Who doesn't want to be directed by the Lord? But we think about, well, should I go here, go there? And I do pray, and you should pray too, that the Lord would order your steps. But notice what he says here. May the Lord, verse 5, direct your hearts into his love. There's nothing greater than the love of God. And it's not some ooey-gooey thing. It is an unconditional love that no matter, I'm always going to do what's best for you regardless of what kind of a knucklehead you might be. It's an unconditional acceptance and love because you're his child. Direct you in that love. You know, God's love will make the crooked things in your life straight. He'll straighten you out. He'll turn your heart away from sin to him. I think it's the love of God that breaks us men down, that we become childlike in our faith but, but, and simple in our faith. And I think that's a good thing. And David prayed in Psalm 119.36, Incline my heart unto your testimonies. The idea of inclining, the idea of bending your heart, strengthening your heart, to lengthen your heart, He prays in Psalm 86, 11. Lord, unite my heart to fear your name. And that isn't run and hide kind of fear. That is a reverence like the Almighty has spoken. I can do nothing but obey him. I know that the fear of God is in my heart when I depart from evil. If I continue to play with sin then I'm really not fearing the Lord. That's how we measure that. This is Psalm 86, 11. Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name, and I will praise you, O Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. Not only did he want to be directed into the love of God, but into the patience of Christ. And that is the idea there is hupomeno, it's, it's endurance. He, this is a 
this walk that we have, this journey we have from earth to heaven is not a hundred yard dash. It is a marathon. It, it's one foot in front of the other and it's just keep moving, keep seeking. You know, wouldn't you just love if you just pour instant maturity and instant stability and everything that we did with God was instantaneous? Well, unfortunately it's not. You know, he said to the disciples, you're not able to yet bear all the things that I'd like to share with you. We can't take it in all at once. We just don't have that capacity. So here a little, there a little. Walk with the Lord. He imparts what you need as you go. But as you continue to seek it, I find that the Lord gives you, he gives me more than I can actually handle, but he, he, he kind of has to restrict himself so he doesn't crush us with all this good. But he's more than willing and anxious, I think, to impart as much life into our souls as we let him. So keep asking. You know, you feel like you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, pray it again. Fill me again, Lord. You know, just overflow. Verses 3 and 4, these are the sort of parenthetical truths about the Lord. One is he is faithful. God is faithful. There is a, tightrope walker who did incredible feats in France and he kind of did the circuit around Paris and all and he, 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 I mean, he would do some stuff from really scary heights and, uh, and he would also do it blindfolded I mean this guy was you know I probably had a screw loose or, or two and um, so this American uh Reporter, you know, he, he caught wind of this, and so he, he worked out a situation where he, he would uh, ask this guy if he'd come over and, and if they put a tightrope across the Niagara Falls, that, that he would, he would tightrope across Niagara Falls. And the guy says, okay. So he took him up on it. So, it's, you know, it's a big money-raising thing, I'm sure, big promotion. And um, so he's going to go from the Canadian side to the American side type of thing. And... Um, and so the guy does it. He pulls it off. And so after it was done, he come up to the, to the reporter. And he says, um, well, now do you believe I can do it? And the reporter says, well, yeah. I mean, dude, you just, you just pulled it off, you know. And he said, no. The retired rope walker said, do you believe I can do it? Well, Again, the guy said, yeah, he just did it. I said, no, 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 no. Do you believe, said the tightrope, that I can do it? Oh, yes, I believe. I believe you can do it. Good, said the tightrope. Then I would like you to get in the wheelbarrow, and I will take you across. So, nice little story, right? The question, the, the idea is, we can say we believe, but do we really trust the Lord? We can say, you know, here, but do we have it here? Have we allowed the head knowledge, the truth that we're, we've learned to settle, you know, take that, six, that 12-inch drop from our minds to our hearts? That's the thing. Are you willing to get in God's wheelbarrow? You know, how about, how about 
letting God blindfold you? Are you going to let, you know, can you trust God if you're blindfolded? We might as well be, right? We really can't see that well into the future. We only can look back and project, hopefully that will be our future and it'll be good. But we don't know what's coming. But I think we need to, to, in our hearts, trust the Lord as as though we were blindfolded. The idea of trusting the Lord is to live by. Live by it. Paul commands 6 through 15, really, they're just uh, some (laughs) application to those sort of living nonchalantly, as you will, if you will, before the Lord. We'll just read through these here. They're pretty self-explanatory. But we command you, verse 6, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition he received from us. For you yourselves know how we ought to, you ought to follow us. We were not disorderly among you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day that we may not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have the authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, that if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in disorderly manner and not working at all, but are busybodies. Now, those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in the quietness and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. A a number of years ago, I was building a timber frame uh, with one of my brother-in-laws, and uh, they had um, one of the GOT crew members that was part of his crew, uh, my brother-in-law's crew, uh, was an Amish, and and this is not a derogatory thing, but if you leave the Amish faith as a, as a, a, a teenager or whatever, and you become you start living like the English, uh, they call you a jerk over. Now that's their term, not ours. So it sounds kind of harsh and uh, slangish, but that's what they call someone uh, that jerks over from being Amish to becoming English. And so this guy had done this, and of course, according to them, he was living in sin. And anyway, so we're eating lunch one day, and we're all sitting down around a little table that we'd created for the crew, and we're eating our lunches. And uh, it just happened to be that one of the fellows that um, stopped by to, to measure up for cabinetry uh, was, uh, it was he's Amish. And so he was eating with us, um, and, and this particular gentleman that was a jerk over um, was a little tardy getting to the table a few minutes late and so we'd already begin uh, breaking bread and all and we were eating and then when when this jerked over guy shows up and sits down and begins to eat the other Amishman the cabinet maker guy gets up and uh, makes up an excuse well you know I I need I need to go I'm done I need to go uh, measure up some stuff so he 
dismissed himself. Well, he really, well, I, I, know, I knew what was going on. And I know he, he just made that up an excuse. See, in the Amish faith, if you're not walking according to the church, you're not allowed to eat with that person. It's called shunning. And so he was shunning this brother, and the idea is to shame them into repentance. So, of course, the jerk-over guy knew exactly what was happening. I knew what was happening. And so I saw this, this whole thing illustrated. The Amish guy, was, uh, the cabinet maker, was being obedient to the convictions that he had been taught. And I think that's sort of the idea. You know, He could have just compromised his teaching, and he could have just sat there and, in his guilt <laughs> and ate with this other brother that, according to him, had gone astray. You know, it's not always easy to take the stand for the convictions that you feel, but we're at a point in time of separation in the church of Christ. And these things that we hold dear and know to be true, we have to be willing to take a stand if it means breaking fellowship or or having acquaintances. We, we need to stick to the word. Now, um, whether he's right or not in the Amish faith, I'll let you judge. But when it comes to certain things that the scripture is dogmatic about, we have to stick to them. And this is the, the rule of thumb. If the scripture is dogmatic about certain things, we need to be dogmatic. We cannot compromise. We're not, we're not of that. We're not of those who take in the sail and turn, turn against the truth. But we have to learn by the grace of God to stand no matter what it may cost us because we want to, it's better to obey Christ than to fear men. Paul, in closing here, he says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace in every way. The Lord be with you all. The salutation of Paul with my own hand, which is a, a sign in every epistle. And so I write, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And so apparently Paul has a way that... Um, he signs that makes it, yep, that's Paul's signature. And so that they know that the letter that's being read to the church isn't somebody else impersonating Paul, his own signature. But I want to close with this thought here. A couple thoughts. Notice that he says, the Lord of peace. And I, again, I don't know if Bill read this, but he, we sang about peace. Peace is such an important thing. I've had some conversations with a fellow today, and he he's a believer. He really, I believe he's a, a convert, but he's not walking in obedience to Christ because he's not attending church. He's not leading his family in the right direction. He's, now it's brought all kinds of trouble into his family. And there's an absence of peace. Now, this is something that we can, like, really take for granted pretty easily, actually. We understand in our hearts and our minds when we are not at peace, right? And peace is like a barometer. It kind of tells you where you're at and what's going on. When you feel a lack of peace, that should be like a red flag. Okay, what's going on here? What's the problem? Something that's not... Something is not right here. In my heart, I can, look, something's not settled here. What is this, Lord? So it's a, it's a way of the Lord getting your attention. But 
but God has called us to peace. The God of peace. I mean, Irene, it, it means harmony. It means tranquility. Don't you love that? Oh, <laughs> peace. Bring it all to peace. Total harmony. That's God's will for our lives. We learn, we understand, we grow, we thrive in peace. Anything that's not peaceful is not usually good for us in the long term. Think of stress. Stress is very destructive to our, our immune system. It strips you of your ability to protect yourself from invading bacteria, etc. It's very destructive in the body. Stress. God's mission is to bring you and I to peace. To live in peace. To live in harmony. It is a Irene, the Greek word, is, equi- is on the same level as shalom in the Old Testament. And it, and it, it, it is om- almost impossible to grasp the entirety of the meaning behind shalom. It is, as heaven is, so let it be on earth. It is the fullness of the potential of God's blessing being experienced. Shalom. It's an incredible, and the only way that can be happen is if we're obviously reconciled to God through Christ and allowing God to really control and lead our lives to the degree that I yield myself and I'm, and I'm, I'm sold out and, and I'm not playing games. I'm not facading. I'm not faking it. But I'm allowing God to make himself real in me and through me is to the degree that I will experience peace and the full potential and the life that God has for me. And it's conditional. It isn't like, well, it's all based upon the sovereignty of God, you know. No. There's always free will. There's always the choice that I, as a human being, have been given to make. Do I want that? What does it take me to meet the conditions of God's peace? So that I can experience shalom and irene. It's... The Bible's clear. There is no peace to the wicked. And to the degree that I rebel and I resist God and the truth of God is the degree that I will experience unrest. I will have that little, something's not right feeling, you know. It will be no tranquility, right? It will not have, the, I'll, I'll be restless in my thoughts. It's very important. The peace of the Lord. The Lord of peace give you peace. You see, it is a gift. It's not something we can manufacture. Oh, just take a you know, just take this, you know, this drug. You'll you'll be fine. It'll mellow right out. No, you won't. You're just you're just pushing the can down the road a little further, right? God will purposely withhold peace from the disobedient. It is the idea to get your and my attention when we're headed the wrong direction. And you can tell someone when they're not at peace and they're not at rest. And I, you know, as a parent, that's what you kind of, okay, you watch your children. You know, those little innocent guys, they do things on occasion that are not innocent. (laughs) And then they experience guilt. (laughs) And then they... No, they need to deal with it, but they don't know how to deal with it. 
and they're they're not at rest, they're not at peace. Well, that's an indicator to mom and dad that, hey, well, what's up here, Junior? Hey, Sally, we need that. What's going on here? See, this is how we parent. So think about how the father, our father, parents us. The lack of peace is an indication that we need to look and see what's going on in here that is not right and then make it right and repent and bring it to God. And he ends verse 16, and the Lord be with you all. What's greater than the presence of God? What is greater in your life than the presence of God? If, you can, if there's something that's more important to you and to me than the presence of God, then I will submit to you with complete confidence and boldness. And as they say up in the New England area, bust your chops. <laughs> you, you have your priorities wrong. The presence of God must be the number one priority in my life. And what is it that I need to do to bring myself to that place where I am sensing the presence of God? And one of the characteristics, obviously, several of the characteristics is, is, of the presence is one, love, and two, peace. The top two. If I don't have love coming from my heart, there's hatred, bitterness, anger. Hold on. need to repent. If I don't have peace, something's not right, I need to, to make it right. And so these are very uh, excellent things that Paul ends with here as he closes it. And then, of course, verse 18. This is what it's all, it all comes back to, doesn't it? Grace. None of us deserve that kind of life. None of us deserve that kind of life but God in his love wants us to have that kind of life Father we thank you for your word we pray that you will make what we have studied Lord a reality in our hearts and our lives and when we stray to the left or to the right Lord please guide us back we are just sheep Lord we are aptly named sheep because we're we just like to eat and we like to roam and we need, we don't pay attention like we should. So, Lord, we're giving you permission to keep us on the straight and narrow, Lord. Guide our hearts into your fear, into your love, into your peace. In Jesus' name, amen.